Hey, it's Katie. And Alana. And here's another episode of Black and Yellow. Woohoo! Into the Black and Yellow verse. What up, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> How you feeling? How you doing? How you living? Made any significant career uh, achievements lately? Oh, my bad. Was Did I catch you off guard with that last one? Was that like too personal? Didn't mean to get that personal that quickly. But since we're talking career today, I figured I would like throw it out and let y'all noodle on it for a little bit. Uh, We're happy to be back in your ears again for another episode of the show. If you are a new listener, welcome. Please feel free to sit back, relax and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're a return listener, welcome back. Today's episode is going to hit us hard where it hurts most. Our Pockets, 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 pockets. Uh, I feel like there has to be an echo because our pockets are empty. <laughs> it's like falling. From it's just a full, It's just a dark, dark hole. Exactly. <laughs> no <agree>. coins. <laughs> and, and so we are talking about careers, and, and technically, our careers, more specifically, promotions, advancement, management, all of the fun stuff, all of Real. the responsibility stuff. One of the uh, first episodes of the show that Lana and Jackie did talked about the model minority myth, but uh, we also have talked about the model minority myth in past episodes. So we are going to also touch on how the model minority myth affects Asian Americans specifically at work, cultivating in something we call the bamboo ceiling. And to be very, very, very clear Asian Americans are the fastest growing, best educated, and highest income racial group in the United States, according to a new study by the Pew Research Group. So one would think that promoting more Asian American men and women to positions of C-suite level leadership or advanced manager roles would be a no-brainer. But sadly, no. <laughs> in the US, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the higher you get up, the higher you get up in the corporate ladder or the the big business ladder, the <laughs> the mailer and paler your company tends to be, which um is ridiculous. And we already knew that there's a serious lack specifically of women of color in advanced leadership positions, but when you factor a race, the barriers to entry can feel stacked twice as Hi, I feel like there should have been a period between each of those words. <laughs> this is so true. Yeah. You need the effects. Totally. As per Deborah Kawahara, I'm assuming. I think it's Kawahara. Kawahara, I'm sorry. It's all right. Who is the Associate Dean of Academic Affairs and Professor for the California School of Professional Psychology says, quote, in recent years, it has become even more apparent that Asian American women may face even greater difficulties because they belong to two marginalized groups. For these women, the dominant or majority group for race in the U.S. is white, while they belong to the marginalized racial group as Asian American. They also belong to the marginalized group for gender in being female, end quote. Yeah. So in today's episode, we're talking about the dreaded bamboo ceiling, not Mm -hmm. the physical, like aesthetically pleasing bamboo ceiling. That's sustainable and it's easy to build and create with, doesn't burn. No, we're talking about the metaphorical, though it feels so real and so oppressive that it mm. shouldn't be a metaphor, mm-hmm. bamboo feeling. But first, let's put our money where our mouth is, shall we? Yes. Go so for it. This is the part of our show that we want to inspire you, dear listeners, to engage in economic 
protest. One way that you can make choices is with your dollars. And this was a form of protest that you can engage in every single day. So on this part of the show, we like to call out uh, Asian-owned and Black-owned businesses of color that we would like for you to support, either because they have great products, we think they're cool, we like their ethos and their missions, or all of the above. Mm-hmm. For the month of May, we are centering all Asian-American Pacific Islander-owned companies because, duh, it's Asian-American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, mm-hmm. and we want to show our respect. Yes. So... I'm going to kick it off with a company called Riff Ruff. On Mm. Instagram, they are at Riff Ruff Queens because they are quite literally located in Queens, but also like there's a queen that's part owner. So we hail to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And simply put, I discovered Riff Ruff because I was walking down the street in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. I need more. This context. is one of those like discoveries in real time. And then you're like, oh my God, this is great. I got to put this on the show. So, Riff Ruff makes shoes for your dog that are as adorable and cute and sweet as they are like totally dope and sickening. Uh, oh. So, I was walking around downtown Los Angeles this weekend with a friend attempting to feel like normal and kind of reconnect to that part of Los Angeles because I haven't yeah. really been there in a while. And so I braved uh, being social and walking, just sort of walking the streets of downtown, seeing what survived the pandemic and what didn't. And while waiting at, waiting at a crosswalk, I saw a lady walking her dog and her dog had some dope shoes on. <laughs> Not your everyday dog shoe. Not those like, what are they like balloon shoes that people have put on their dog's feet like when it's cold outside or those those like chintzy mm, the little booties yeah mm-hmm. those things yeah these are not that and okay. when i'm saying these shoes these shoes were tight i mean i'm saying that in the way that i looked at this four-legged animal and was like those shoes are sick in the same way that i would look at a two-legged <laughs> mammal and be like damn your shoes are tight <laughs> like it was like that um so of course i asked the woman who made her dog shoes she told me riff ruff wrote it down or put it in my notes, I should say, technically, and then got home and looked up the company and was like, oh, they're Asian owned. Fuck, <sighs> they're absolutely going on the show. So I'm an instant fan. Uh, Riff Ruff is an Asian owned small business founded by Peter Liu and Jeremy Yoon that's creating design driven dog shoes. So these shoes have a, a, a like a Nike kind of Air Force One ish quality to them. Fancy. Yeah. Uh, so protect your dog's paws from physical and fashion disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so their shoes, the flagship style is called the Caesar, uh, named after Peter's dog, which I believe is a Frenchie. And they are the cutest, dopest shoes that even your mm. your like most critical sneakerhead and most critical pipe beast would absolutely get behind. They only have one style so far, but, you know, I'm sure they've got more styles in the works. If we support them, they'll make more. There you more. go. There you go. So get style and paw protection for your four-legged best friend at riffroughqueens.com. I will put a link in show notes. What Ooh. you got, Katie? Not that. So I have the paper <laughs> project. It's like, I mean... The fashion um, style is is the complete opposite of rough. That's totally right. But it's uh, sustainable. So uh, Paper Project is, for all of those people who sweat a lot, so get ready, Paper Project is 
making t-shirts, sweats, underwear, and socks made of Japanese paper yarn to create long-lasting clothes that are comfortable and kind to the environment. So according to research, paper yarn reduces most odors by 80 plus percent and is quick to dry, which removes any moisture that you may produce through sweating. Paper yarn also stops the growth of sweat odor causing bacteria and musty odor causing bacteria. Um, And in particular, I was looking at their website um, and you can find them on Instagram at paperproject underscore NY for New York. Paper Project has a large assortment of socks in particular they, uh, you can filter specifically if you're a hiker, an athlete, a runner, and other. Wow. Um, yeah, they have very specific, I guess, demands and needs, which I'm sure they sure. do. I just am not aware. I also looked at the underwear because I was really curious. Um, and the underwear are only boxers. So if you do not wear boxers, I am sorry. You will have to look uh, elsewhere for your butt sweat and thigh sweat. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, nothing we can do. But um <laughs> Paper Project is also being mindful of the environment and trying their best to use natural resources. And they're also giving back to the environment by donating and planting one tree per pair of socks sold. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah, which is huge. Um, So, yeah, you can definitely check them out at um, paperprojectny.com. So definitely do that. So yours is fashionable in a different way. Yours is like functional fashion because I know quite a few people who could probably utilize some paper project goods. Mm-hmm. I've got a sweaty fiance who like, <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> would be down for like a cooling, arid feeling shirt that I would imagine if it like wicks away sweat. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the like dreaded un- like pit stains that, you know, if you're a heavy sweater, oh. if you leave in shirts. I wonder how paper project paper project products say that three times fast <laughs> would affect that i wonder if that then gets banished too maybe because of the the material that's being used to make the yeah. underwear the socks the the shirts well, also the colors them. yeah the colors that hmm. they use are natural colors it well not i mean it, i don't know about dyes and things like that but sure. it's like the the tan colors the black the olive green colors like those kind of more earthy tone colors for clothes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Dope. Yeah. Huh. A little food for thought there. A little fashion, a little function. A little we'll research. drop both of these links in show notes. <laughs> also helping build trees. Like, yeah, you know, we need that. Environment. Exactly. And yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's get to talking about the bamboo ceiling, shall we? We shall. <laughs> You're like, oh, great. Here we go. Well, let's just lead this off with a personal question. Yes. Like, I'll ask you, do you have any experience with the bamboo ceiling, be it witnessing it in your personal life or via friends, family, loved one, the media? What's your experience with this? Yeah, I have a lot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of examples. Um, So uh, let's see, where should I start? Um, So I'll say one. I knew or I had a colleague a couple years back. I mean, we're still technically colleagues, but I don't talk or associate with them. And they identify within the um, Pacific Islander diaspora. And they had talked about their upbringing and their history in the, in the field of higher education, uh, because that is where most of my professional colleagues come from. Mm -hmm. And the the terrible thing with with them in particular was they had i think they had multiple degrees so i think they had multiple bachelor degrees and multiple masters degrees 
and they were adjunct uh, professors at multiple colleges across the state and across multiple states, I think. And they've worked at universities in like part-time professor positions. And adjunct, for those who don't know, adjunct professors are like at the bottom of the professor pyramid where they're on contract and they go between colleges. They can work at multiple colleges at once. Um, but it's never a guarantee that they'll be there the next quarter semester. And so this, this particular professor has worked at many, many colleges, many universities. Um, they're, they're widely known in our state. They go to all the conferences. They, they've done keynotes. They've done performances. They do, they do all of the things, and yet they can't land a job or be promoted uh, for I, who knows what reasons, right? Um, so that was one of the examples that I had. And, you know, they had two, I think they had two master's degrees. And they still weren't. Yeah, it was just super rough. And they went to like a really prestigious school on the West Coast and yeah, still didn't do anything. So there's all these things. And then um, let's see there. I had another example too. bamboo ceiling. Um, I, I feel like I can't really use myself as an example because I don't <laughs> Why can't you? I don't know for my particular scenario if it's the bamboo ceiling or if it's Got the it. glass ceiling or if it's something else. Because the only reason I say that is because in my job, there is no next step. So my position doesn't have uh, like just, you know. Oh, if you're in this position, naturally you would go to this next position. And sure. then, yeah, we don't have that. We only have this position. And the issue that I've faced is um, that my white male, like privileged in every possible capacity way, who has the exact same job as me, the exact same degree as me, more experience than me, is having a worser time than me. Which is which is an interesting reverse, huh. yeah. Um, so I don't sure. feel like I can apply myself in this exact example, and this is sure. really my only job experience. I mean, this is my only adult job that I've ever had, um, my only adult wow. full time job because I'm committed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's a nice little bittersweet turn, though, too. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like the 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 majority that we are taught should be the one excelling over over minorities. In your particular case, not. Nah. But it's only because I am part of a marginalized community and that's mm. where I'm getting the opportunities is through diversity multicultural work. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Which obviously my white hetero male counterpart wouldn't you know, would be the last that. yeah would be the last trick in every capacity. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I could apply it to myself, but the fact that I have someone who is supposed to excel in every aspect of the workforce. Sure. But, I mean, we are also in a a position that is seen as predominantly female. So that that brings up a whole nother thing. Gender, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's an interesting uh, thing to be experiencing as we're recording this in real time, because hearing you talk about education, I remember when I was in college, there was one acting professor, African-American, female, Mm. all the students loved her, Mm. and it felt like every year she kept going up for tenure (gasps) and was always just like so close, but not quite tenured. 
And I remember going, I mean, I went there all four years and it felt like every so often there would be a, a, a petition or some sort of movement to help. I will not put the professor's name on blast, uh, but to help this particular individual get tenure. So oh my you would gosh. have t- students filling out petitions or writing letters of support or a recommendation, which sounds yeah. weird if you're a student for a teacher, uh, in support of I've her because she professors was... ask me that too. Okay, so that's not crazy uncomfortable. It's not crazy, no. Okay, okay, yeah, I wasn't quite it's sure. It's normal. Okay, I um I remember she was the only African American female faculty member in the acting department, and she meant so oh. much to her students. I was never one of her students. But I had a lot of friends that were in her class. And so I sort of mm. tangentially knew her and her work. Yeah. Uh, and she was always a wonderful teacher, leader, guider. And it was always very strange why she could never just get tenure. And now, yeah. obviously, being out of that loop and looking at it for what it is, it's like, oh, got it. She hit that glass ceiling where mm-hmm. she's uh, good enough to, to stick around, good enough to hire, but not great enough to push forward to tenure. Yeah. And tenure is a whole nother episode conversation that we could have. Sure. Cause sure. I, I can think of the same thing with um, at least where I work and with professors looking at tenure and the tenure process and the professors of color that we have. And I, I can distinctly remember specifically an Asian American um, East Asian American, I should maybe emphasize where he went through the tenure process. He wore suits every day to class. And I didn't work at the college that I work at now then. I just happened to know this individual before I worked there um, through family and wore suits every day, was looking like super sharp and like any, like those Asian American men in the movies and all he the dressed wanting the dress job to he the nines. Ready. Yeah. And the tenure process, at least for us, is a three year commitment. So a three year commitment sure. of dressing up to the nines, teaching in the dress shoes and all. And then literally as soon as he got tenure, it was the sweatpants came out. And I remember distinctly one day, um, bright red sweats. Uh, bright red hoodie and bright red sweatpants Ooh. with a bright blue backpack like Mario. <laughs> wow. Walking around oh. campus. Hey. Well, he was already tenured, so he was like, yeah. look, I should I got this dress- job for life now. Yeah. You can't Yeah, like, I dressed me. the part and, like, played the role you needed me to, mm-hmm. and now I got it. Like, I can, mm-hmm. I can do my red on red on blue. Like, yeah. please, let me live my best Mario life. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like It does feel like education, you do hear about this a lot. I've got friends that are going through the education system now and Mm -hmm. that are encountering different barriers and obstacles. But I feel like you can also, this also is applicable to like law in terms of making partner at a big firm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got a handful of attorney friends and they're uh, setting their sights on essentially making partner Mm. and noticing here and there obstacles and barriers are beginning to creep up that either were never clear to them before or they thought their work was good enough or their input was valuable enough or you know add in any or here Mm -hmm. and now they're discovering hmm, okay good but not great if I want to make partner it seems like the higher up I go the less black the less female it becomes Uh, I also have a couple of friends that work in the finance and I guess, uh, 
financing and accounting, that sort of mm, yeah. space. And they're finding that becoming a CPA or a CFA and actually mm-hmm. like going out to get clients is somewhat challenging. Oh, yeah. In terms of crossing over, uh, I'm yeah. thinking of three friends of mine in particular, all African-American females who wanted to get into the personal finance or accounting space because they mm-hmm. wanted to help women that look like them and other women, not just black yeah. women, but women writ large across the board, helping them get financially literate, preparing for a healthy financial future. Yeah. Just just going over the basic one, two, threes of like taxes and accounting and personal accounting that one would need to um, acquire through life. But haha, surprise, surprise. Uh Women or many people don't like teaching women about money. Women are viewed as not as, as good with numbers and finance. Um, but Which we did talk about before. Exactly. But mm-hmm. they're also now discovering that they're having a hard time getting clients that are outside of their ethnic group or their racial group. Oh, which I that's was, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting when I when I was talking to them about this episode and they all mentioned the glass ceiling specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, in different variations. I guess I had never thought about how it would play out. I guess um, when I think of the glass ceiling, I think of like moving up like a vertical thing. Yeah. But in terms of getting certified, they've already gotten the certification. They've already moved up. Mm-hmm. But now it's about moving outwards, like going horizontally. And they're having yeah. a hard time crossing over into other uh demographics and I thought that was an interesting way of looking at the glass ceiling so I thought yeah I've seen that though I mean we we've talked to a financial individual who is Asian and female and we only knew about her and only looked into the financial planner because of my mother-in-law but you know granted we all identify as East Asian our financial person is also East Asian Mm -hmm. so I can yeah I can see how yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's look like I have a black stockbroker, a black accountant, like those people in my life are black. And I guess, you know, it's when, when you utilize these people, when you employ these people, you're like, yes, I support you. I support what you're doing. You look like me. You speak my language. You understand and, and, what I'm and, going through. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, in terms of breaking over, crossing over and, and spreading business outward. God, I never thought about the difficulties there yeah. until researching this episode yeah so with all of this said let's talk about the brief history of the model minority myth and a brief explanation of the bamboo ceiling just Mm -hmm. in case anyone's listening and they're like wait huh bamboo ceiling never heard of it model minority myth i've definitely heard of that or maybe i've tangentially heard of that who knows yeah so i would like to say go google search it but i won't (laughs) (laughs) i will explain um okay so the mono minority myth, uh, in particular, I think, and I think we also feel, feeds into the concept of the bamboo ceiling because it talks about and plays into stereotypes that are associated uh, with being Asian American and the whole concept of not being, quote unquote, good enough for leadership roles. So a couple of things about the model minority myth, there's, there's a few factors that typically when people think about the model minority myth, they think about um, Asian Americans in these different viewpoints, lights, whatever term you want to use. So a lot of people, when they think of model minority myth, they think of Asians as overachievers. They think of them as smart, hardworking, successful, 
I shouldn't say them. I should say we. They think of us. <laughs> they think that we are so successful that we don't need help, that we don't need resources. Um, we tend to get ignored when talking about race and having conversations about race because we are seen as being able to handle our own problems um, or be able to handle our problems with the help of our community or family. Um, also, because of the term model minority, it kind of creates the assumption that we are fine on our own and that we are the model race to be. Um, we are also seen in, in terms of kind of uh, turning into the workforce piece of it. We are seen as easy to manage and supervise. We are seen as obedient rule followers, also submissive, particularly if you're looking at Asian women. Um, and we are also seen as individuals who do not cause trouble or don't, uh, quote unquote, make waves. So going, uh, thinking about all of those things, now going into the model minority myth, um, you can also talk, uh, listen to past episodes. So Alana and I have done a, a previous episode talking about the model minority myth. Uh, Alana and Jackie also have done an episode talking about the model minority myth. So if, if it is um, overly foreign to you after I do this brief Ex brief description about it you can always check out those episodes you can also google search it to be honest um and th there are a lot of reasons in particular that it's harmful for the workplace in the workplace um it's also important to acknowledge that there is an implicit bias that is at play implicit bias lies in the fact that we believe uh that corporate america or you know the big business believes that Asian Americans are good workers, but not good leaders, which is that whole idea of being submissive and being obedient and being good at following rules, orders, whatever you want to use. So quote unquote, um, or not quote unquote, uh, quote, in corporate America, Asian Americans are the most likely to be hired in the white collar jobs, but least likely to be promoted into management, end quote. Um, and that was said by Buckley, Bucky, who is a former vice president of Cisco Systems and the executive advisor for the Ascent Foundation. Um, they go on to say, um, quote, so dynamics for Asian promotion rates for companies consistent, wait, wait, so dynamics for Asian promotion rates for companies consistently that Asians are least likely to be promoted. Leadership culture, management culture, corporate culture is different enough for Asian tradition, from Asian tradition, Asian culture. I think I said that correctly. The statistical breakdown is that nearly 60% of Asian Americans go to college. After school, they make up about 13% of working professionals. And then only 6% of them occupy spots in executive leadership. And you can find that in a lot of research that we did. So um, G continues to say that in America, what we look for are bold, risk-taking leaders. And those are culturally incompatible with what you see in China or Japan, uh, or we could say Korea or India or all of those other places, but they didn't include that. And so those people brought up with those beliefs are looked at as non-leadership material here in the United States, end quote. So food for thought. Um, and some examples, in case you don't believe anything we just said, <laughs> there have been numerous examples in the news regarding various legal suits that have been brought forward by Asian American women in particular in the technology sector. For example, Ellen Powell brought legal action against Klenner Perkins 
Caulfield and Byers, a venture capital firm, for not promoting her due to gender and then retaliating when she complained about it. So being one of two chiefs of staff, she recalls her boss asking her to do things such as helping with his emails and other less befitting work for a chief of staff, such as babysitting his daughter. The other chief of staff, a male, mostly focused on investing while she did all of the things I just mentioned, uh, which doesn't seem fair because they have the same job, same job title. In the case of Chai Hong, she sued Facebook in 2015, not that long ago, (laughs) for being told she looks and talks differently was belittled or ignored during meetings and was asked to serve drinks to male colleagues. However, she eventually dropped the case. And although these cases were not won, they did bring a lot of attention to the discrimination against women, particularly Asian American women, um, as per the Alliant International University. And just like a a thought I want to add before we move on, um, (laughs) it's just so interesting that they didn't win these cases mm-hmm. yeah it's like if even like solely based on the job description you would see that doing these different things that they asked were not part of the job descriptions that you would sure. think and also i feel like babysitting the daughter is a hr violation or, yeah the one know? about the babysitting of the child if my boss was like can you babysit my kid i would be like fuck off get a sitter like what are you talking about for real Yeah, I don't understand that one. I don't understand how she didn't win that one. I don't either. But I think it is it's an important thing that you brought up that they they didn't go on to win. And the second lady dropped the case, which I. Yeah, that makes. Yeah. Chai Hong, she dropped the case, which does hurt my heart, because I feel like when I read that, I wondered how much of the dropping of the case had to do with the fact that she she wants a career in tech and doesn't want this case to affect her future but also the fact that this case probably got a lot of backfire too yeah yeah which hurts my heart because it's like look every person has a right to show up and do the job they were hired to do right and to be treated with the respect in, in whatever position they are hired into doing not to mm-hmm. do bs what feels like uh, office mom secretary work, right? Because that's what your quote boss needs. Um, yeah, that was that was definitely very disheartening. So let's talk about the bamboo ceiling. So the bamboo ceiling, the glass ceiling, they're all quite similar. I think that uh, every ethnic group has their own variation of a ceiling. But it's a term that's used to refer to the barriers and obstacles Asian Americans face in being promoted and reaching leadership positions in the workforce. Quote, the bamboo ceiling is a combination of individual, cultural and organizational factors that impede their career progress, says Jane Hee-yun, who is a South Korean born leadership consultant and author of the book Breaking the Bamboo Ceiling. So as per CNBC, quote, Asian Americans are the fastest growing racial group in the country and make up around 7% of the U.S. population. Nearly 60% of them go to college compared with 41% of the general population. After school, Asian Americans comprise 13% of working professionals. But as they progress in their careers, they make up just about 6% of executive leadership. Though Asian Americans have some of the highest educational attainment and median incomes in the country, 
quote, the lowest rung on the poverty ladder happens to be Asian. And that is a fact that is widely ignored. And be needing resources, says Denise Peck, an executive advisor at the Pan-Asian Leadership Organization Ascend Foundation. Mm. So in an analysis of national workforce data, Peck and Buck Gee, uh, P.S. Ascend Foundation helped us a lot with this episode. There's a (laughs) lot of research coming from the Ascend Foundation. Um, They found that Asian American white collar professionals are the least likely racial group to be promoted into managerial roles. And a recent Mm -hmm. study by nonprofit Ascend, again, uh, found that among five of the largest tech companies, those companies being Google, HP, Intel, LinkedIn, and Yahoo, Mm. Asian and Asian Americans represented represent 27 percent of professionals, but only half that among executives. The bamboo ceiling is also evident in the underrepresentation of Asian American women in corporate mm-hmm. America. A study from Catalyst found that women employees of Asian American descent represent only 4.4% of manager and above levels among S&P 500 companies. Other minorities are facing similar challenges. The representation of Black and Hispanic women in manager roles is similarly low at about 5% each. Yeah. So what are some of the other factors that build and reinforce the bamboo ceiling? Well, the Harvard Business Review did an article about this, and this is what they have to say. Quote, among 3,000 Asian men and women surveyed by the Center for Work-Life Policy found that 25% feel they face bias in the workplace as per a 2005 Gallup survey, which put the figure at an even higher percentage of 31%. Rather than outright discrimination, however... Asian-Americans encounter unspoken inequities that make them feel they don't fit in from a team that routinely meets at a steakhouse, despite the Chinese senior manager's suggestion that they try a Chinese or an Indian restaurant. Mm -hmm. To a sense shared by about 37 percent of Asian men in the CWLP survey that their colleagues seem uncomfortable asking them about their personal life more than double the numbers of their Caucasian or Hispanic counterparts and 14% greater than African-Americans, hmm, which I that's think, interesting. Well, I think that that goes to show that there's at a very base level when we're talking about higher levels of leadership. But I think when we're talking about white people in general, I do still think there are a swath of white people in the world that can truly not see beyond the color of someone's skin and see them as the same human being as them. What Mm -hmm. I mean by that is this. Most human beings generally want the same things regardless of race. They want to be happy. They want to be successful. They want to be healthy, have healthy families, have some modicum of economic success. Like these are all aspirations that I don't know any individual that's like, I want to be unhealthy, broke, and miserable. No, of course not. So I think this idea of I can't look at my Asian coworker and ask them about their lives is directly tied to this idea of they are so different from me. Where Mm. would I even begin? Like, what would I ask them? Clearly, we have no similarities in, in, in life. And it's like, well, no, like, are y'all parents? Yeah, so saying too. You know what yes, I mean? Dogs, like, family, homeownership, recreation. Like you have a there's backyard. a lot of things to connect with people on. Mm-hmm. That 
even if you were to just close your eyes and talk to the person standing opposite you, you could probably still find something to connect with on a human level. And I think yeah. it is the pushing past of this idea that uh, we're all just so different. White people are so different from Asian people. They couldn't possibly come together and connect and see them and, and see each other clearly, I think is something that we are still working to tear down. Yeah. Um, sorry for that, like, tangent no. TED Talk. I just had to get that off my yeah. chest. Um, there's a pervasive feeling of being, quote, a square peg in a round hole, as one mm. manager puts it, with 48% reporting that confronting to prevailing leadership models is a problem. For example, a female vice president at a major multinational was criticized by a boss for her Anglo-Indian accent. Mm which she found, quote, too stuffy. Stuffy. The comment left her hurt and confused. Quote, what am I supposed to do, she asked. Go for language classes, end quote. Other tripwires are rooted in cultures that instill Asians with communication and networking styles at odds with the mainstream dynamic assertiveness and directness of American culture. Mm. Asians are frequently criticized for being too reticent, more hesitant than other cultures to advance new ideas at a team meeting or promote themselves to or or promote themselves to their manager as mm. a result of a deeply ingrained deference to authority Asians in the CWLP survey are also significantly less likely than other ethnic groups to challenge a consensus let alone participate in the quote in your face style of leadership that is rewarded in much of corporate America. It was also just rewarded in our government. Hence mm. our last president. There's a pervasive. Oh, sorry. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> in Asia, quote, in Asia, there's a saying that the loudest duck gets shot. In America, it's, quote, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, says Jane Hyun. Mm. These things are totally different and at odds with each other. End quote. Yeah. I had actually never heard the loudest duck gets shot quote. Me neither. Until researching for this episode. And it did make it did give me pause because I do feel like we tell our kids here in America, like, you got to speak up for what you want. You got to tell people your dreams. You have to tell people what you believe in. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. So I I never thought of the the counter to that ever. But that's eye-opening the loudest duck gets shot okay hmm. food for thought unless you're a disney princess oh goodness <laughs> <laughs> the loudest villain gets shot disney oh, there you go there you go okay uh the only time asian americans do appear to be in leadership is when companies are suffering and dying <laughs> uh Quote, research has found that Asian Americans were more likely to be promoted to CEO when the organization was on a decline because decision makers believe Asian Americans are inclined to sacrifice their self-interest to improve the welfare of others, researchers wrote. Ooh. When companies want to take risk and grow, corporate America prizes leaders who are perceived to be charismatic, extroverted, assertive, and bold and they're more likely to assume these with inherit these are inherent in tall white businessmen end quote ouch i know that hurts because basically what that's saying is like asian americans think of of everyone else but nobody thinks of them that's terrible 
Well, also, we can be charismatic and extroverted and assertive and bold. We're not all, like, ugly and introverted and submissive and not bold. (laughs) Yeah, and I think this is also where black female CEOs, like, black females are also hired to companies also when companies are suffering. Mm, Yeah. And, And I think that part of that has to do with, oh, a company is suffering, it's very white and very male and very pale. Let's just, it must be the lack of in, uh, uh, inclusivity. It must be the lack of diversion and inclusivity. Quick, mm-hmm. let's get any person of color that's already in the company that's not like a new hire to visually show to the outside world that we are doing the best that we can to change the company. When in reality, you're not actually changing it if you're not changing the toxic corporate culture or the toxic business practices that led your company to be on a decline. Mm -hmm. And that's how colleges try and promote themselves to get students of color to attend their colleges. They post posters of students of color and they make it seem like they are students on their campuses. Ooh, the plot thickens. <laughs> Don't be fooled by the college posters, folks. Yeah, so I'm sure businesses do the exact same thing. And that's why all job descriptions include the, we do not, you know. Yeah. yeah. Mm. We are anti-racist and we do not discriminate based on blah, 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 blah. Yep. Yeah. The fine print. The, the- the uh, employment fine print, we call that. Yeah, but it's always at the very, very bottom. Nobody ever mm-hmm. reads that. Yeah, like the side effects for medication. Literally, yeah, that's what it looks <laughs> like when you're reading it. Because it's all the same. Exactly. They don't want you to know that your medication might cause heartburn, indigestion, diarrhea, upset stomach, nausea, paranoia, all, all mm-hmm. those things. Oh, those always get me too. Exactly. Or that it's habit forming. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we're going to talk about how the bamboo ceiling and the mama minority myth impact Asian women in the workforce. Fun. Um, and also sad because I'm also part of this group. So the Harvard Business Review said, uh, quote, firms with the most ethnically diverse executive teams were 33% more likely to outperform their peers on profitability and those with executive level gender diversity worldwide had a 21% likelihood of outperforming their industry competitors. A recent study of VC firms found that more diverse teams had higher financial returns than their homogenous counterparts, end quote. Mm. So why don't we do it? Why don't we see it? I want to know. I'm wondering the I same know. damn thing. I'm sure me. we all know, but yeah, <laughs> it's like it's. Same thing with cinema. Why don't we do it? Anyway, Mm -hmm. Asian women are essentially smacked twofold, right? They are impacted by both race and gender. Uh, CNBC says that while Asian and Pacific Islander individuals may be in higher wage professions, dare I say the stereotype of Asian parents wanting their children to be doctors, lawyers, or dentists. That was such a big trend when I was growing up. (laughs) Asian and Pacific Islander women, and really we could add all women, all femme, all non-male gender or non-conforming binaries tend to be in lower wage service, hospitality, and caregiving occupations. I wanted to slap my hands together, but I didn't want you to <laughs> well, I don't want to hurt your ears. Coming too hot. <laughs> yeah. So I mean on so on average, uh, oh sorry, quote on average, AAPI women, so Asian Pacific Islander women are paid just 85 cents for every dollar paid to white men according to the National Women's Law Center. 
And then if we break it down by ethnic group, Burmese women make an average of just 52 cents for every dollar paid to white men. End quote. Uh, if uh, that if that That's gets you accurate. more than what I said. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, and so I guess talking also about Asian women stereotypes and how how we may go, how does this impact them in leadership roles and, and managerial roles and supervisory roles? Asian women stereotypes literally watch Mulan. <laughs> Calm, obedient, work fast pace. Uh, I will always say that. Uh, modest, intelligent, hardworking, but also quiet, nice, and non-assertive. And we just talked about being assertive. Um, the opposite side of the Asian women spectrum is the dragon lady stereotype of being demanding, aggressive, and unlikable, and overly assertive. So there's never, there's yeah, never there's a, no right. Yeah, you kind of yeah. have to just surf it, I guess, and hope that you are somewhere in the nice middle, like Goldilocks. <laughs> or we just allow all women, specifically in this particular context, Asian women, to be fully formed individuals. Like, That'd it feels nice. like it's, a, it's, it's the binary of, like, not assertive or too assertive. Let's just Literally. allow everyone of a healthy degree of assertion, shall we? Let's just let all women be a, a nice, healthy amount of assertive. That way we can start to undo some of these stereotypes. We will see. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not going to be a downer, but we got to talk about leadership. We got to talk about management. Let's do it. According to Forbes, quote, in law, Asian women outnumber Asian men among associates at U.S. law firms, firms, 54% versus 46%. But Asian men are almost twice as likely as Asian women to become partners, 64% versus 36%. And in corporate America, even though Asian American women are the demographic group most likely to have graduate degrees, like myself, they are the least likely to hold positions within three reporting levels of the CEO or to have line or supervisor responsibilities. End quote. Yeah. Um, I don't really have like a <laughs> how do we fix this <laughs> type of uh, I'm also not in corporate business, but uh, I did want to add that I did read about a research study done by Cindy Pace. And I did want to mention this because I do think that this could help those of you out there, maybe <laughs> who were like, oh, dang, that's me. And I'm never mm-hmm. going to get anywhere. No, you will. Um, I thought it was interesting because in this particular research study, Cindy interviewed women of color who are in mid-level management positions and specifically in looking at how they got to that position. And so there were four key takeaways that these women mentioned that kind of helped them be promoted to these spots. So one of them was wanting power and influence, which seems really obvious, um, but really like wanting, having that ambition and stri- and striving for it. Uh, two was confidently seizing opportunities and believing in their ability to perform. So even though there might be an opportunity, maybe you're not confident or don't have experience in uh, or haven't done yet because it's not part of your job. Um, seizing the opportunity, not second guessing or hesitating and being like, I'm going to try it. I'll do it. Give it to me. Let's go. Um, And third, pursuing management challenges and experiences. So even though you're not in a management position yet, doing something that would be something that you would do in management. Mm -hmm. Um, Like for me, it would be 
Um, I don't manage or supervise, but we have student workers. And so maybe I help them or supervise them on a specific task or help them learn a new task if they're a new student um, in this position. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the fourth one was having influential mentors. They did mention that some of the mentors were male, some of them were white men, but having mentors that are influential seemed to be really key to kind of help guide you. So having a senior like level management individual mentor you, teach you all the ropes, teach you all the things that will benefit you once you are able to get to this position or I guess um, that will help you get to that position. So experiences that will purposely help you and build the things that you need for that job interview. Yeah. I also want to jump in here a little bit because I think, um, I think in terms of you, if you are an Asian American female looking to get your, looking to, to go up whatever ladder, whether it's corporate, whether it's independent, whether it's self-employment, I think it's important to have mentors and sponsors, or if you don't Mm -hmm. like the words sponsors, maybe advocates is a better word. Um, And I think that this is great. I've noticed that in my own career, I have mentors and I have my my sponsors, my mentors, like one of them is my mother-in-law. But a mentor is it can be anyone. Anyone who gives you good, solid, sage advice can be a mentor, regardless of age, uh, demographic, race, anything like that. Mm -hmm. But an advocate or a sponsor, that's the person who fights for you when you're not in the room. And those people are crazy important. Mm-hmm. So as we've been talking a lot in this episode, one thing that Asian American women are perceived to be is non-assertive. If you feel like that is holding you back in business and you feel like being assertive in a, a public space is too difficult, get assertive one-on-one with your advocate or your sponsor the person who knows your desires and then can go into these big rooms and advocate on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes all it takes is one person to know your dreams, ambitions, goals, who can go in there and be your mouthpiece if they think that you are the right person for the job or the project or the, I don't work in corporate America, a job project (laughs) or anything similar to, um, but what that, that was brought to mind as you were reading that is sometimes all you need is one person Mm -hmm. to know what your goals and desires are. And one person can then go into two and three and four. If you feel like you are someone who has a hard time verbalizing their wants and desires, it doesn't always have to be in front of a bunch of people in a public setting. It can be Mm -hmm. one-on-one. Just a little food for thought. Yeah. Also being mindful of those people who are, those types of leaders who do say names at the table. Cause Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely know people who are in those higher positions, but they don't necessarily say people's names at the table. But I also, I know people who Uh. do say names at the table who are like, no, my whole purpose of being in this position is to give you professional development to watch you grow versus other people who may not say anything. So yeah, it would also depend on that. Interesting. So yeah, like in the in, in acting or entertainment, so many names are said because it's generally like, hey, I have this project. Who do you think would be good for it? Mm, and that's okay. the perfect position to be yeah. like, Katie, Katie would be great. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it depends on on um, what fields of work you're in. But I had mm-hmm. not considered what you said. Yeah, that I was is- thinking in higher education. Sure. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
so it's 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 a uh, it's type of work. It depends on what type of work you're in. Mm-hmm. But either way, like I think if no one knows your aspirations, you're not going to get there. Tell right. somebody. Tell someone that you trust that you don't that that you won't feel self conscious around. Yeah, yeah. So, do we know any Asian or Pacific Islander women in leadership roles? We do, but I felt like we had to research it because <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, they, they were not so obvious. That is for sure. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, first of all, VP Kamala Harris, right? Got it. Yeah, th- and then it was like, oh dang. <laughs> So, but then I thought of okay. So we did talk about director filmmaker Chloe Zhao, Mm -hmm. and we talked about all of her work in our previous episodes. So if you don't want to do the Google search and you don't want to look at all the stuff, then we had to do some digging. So we have two U.S. U.S. senators. We have Maisie Hirano. We have Tammy Duckworth. And then this one was a surprise to me. Uh, Sonia Singal is the president and CEO of Gap incorporated mm-hmm. um yeah i totally forgot about the gap they are one of the only places that i can get jeans from that fit me maybe fun, that has something fact. to do with sonia's work maybe fun sonia fact. sees you petite uh skinny jeans for me that actually fit my leg length thank mm-hmm. you very much sonia uh lisa sue of advanced micro devices joey watt of yum china um and also note the last three Women are leaders at Fortune 500 companies. Big time. Yeah. Felt like that was important to just to do a little Google search and check. Because I was like, wait, those are some of the biggest companies in the world. They've got to at least hire some Asian American Pacific Islander female. So I'm super glad I did that research. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So let's talk about challenges that people of color and women face in leadership. Shall we? Yes. This was interesting because... In real time now, I had this conversation today um, because I had a meeting with all um, people of color in, I would say, director type or assistant director type positions in higher ed. So it was like an opportune moment. I didn't bring it up, though. It was just said because we were talking about it. Um, So lucky me. Uh, One of one of the ones one of the things mentioned was. It's really challenging as a person of color, especially as a woman of color in leadership, to hold coworkers accountable. And there's so many reasons, you know, that that plays into. Yeah, that. yeah, definitely. And I think that this spans across all color lines, not just Asian Americans, but African Americans, Latinx uh, females. Oh yeah, non-binary women, oh, yeah. queer women. All yeah, definitely holding coworkers accountable, especially if you're hoping to scale that ladder into. C-suite level leadership or beyond, mm-hmm. it, there's a certain level of wanting to be authentic to your true self, but also not wanting to challenge the position that you're in, for sure. Right. Yeah. Or what about the option of being spread too thin? Mm-hmm. You sort of alluded to this in the uh, in the examples that you gave for the model minority myth at work. But being spread too thin or sometimes being pulled in every direction as the token woman or woman of color in leadership. Yeah. And this can be everything from apparently being asked by your boss to babysit kids, (laughs) to take notes at meetings, to help a boss with their emails, to setting up the company parties, to doing various small side jobs and projects Mm -hmm. that they weren't really hired to do, but because they're 
women or women of color, there's that implicit bias of they must be good at this because they have X, Y, and Z uh, qualities. And also Mm -hmm. they're women. So they're naturally organized or natural nurturers, natural caretakers, whatever the, the, the qualities are that, uh, some boss higher up is looking to to uh, use against the woman who he is saddling with extra work that she didn't get hired for. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really like every movie that you ever see <laughs> where there's like an assistant or other. But yeah, also not being taken seriously or being seen as like bossy or like censor bitchy. You know, there's so many terms, especially with kids. Like that's something that I have to be really mindful now is when you see little girls and they're talking a lot or they're trying to control everything and people say that they're being bossy, they're not being bossy. They're just being a boss and they're being well, awesome. Also, so, so I got labeled bossy a lot as a kid. And one thing that my mother was very quick to let my teachers know is she's not bossy. She has good leadership skills. People listen um, to her. That's a way to handle it, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have a little girl, but... Just figure I got to teach. I mean, if you see it in the classroom, because we don't label boys as bossy. That is very much a label that we stick on our little and young women. And so I think that if you do encounter that, feel free to pass that along. Because I always thought that was a really great uh, way to swoop in that my mom used that I hadn't quite considered. But she worked in higher education. So there you go. She knows. Uh, What about the idea of doing more with less? You know, there's only so much money to go around. There's only mm-hmm. so many resources to go around. Can you make the most of whatever small? Of nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> whatever small puddle or pocket you have, go for that. Yeah, that's another thing that minority women get saddled with doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also competing with for crumbs. Uh, oh. The mindset that there's only room for one person at the table, so everybody has to compete for that one spot. Or that one opportunity or that one resource or that one pot of funds mm-hmm. or aid or however, whatever other thing you can think of. Yeah, that totally leads to a toxic workplace environment. Mm-hmm. That's a real easy um, uh, uh, place to start, a sort of striking of the match, if you would. Yeah. Or a lot of, of minority women have to do this, code switching for the sake mm-hmm. of the company. Um Code switching all the time, essentially speaking whatever language the company wants you to speak in whatever way the company wants you to speak it. And then, depending on what sort of company you're in, um, speaking a way that's more comfortable to you because that's the way that you can get work done most effectively. Yeah. Or sacrificing a sense of self in an effort to uphold the values of whatever corporation, big business, whatever uh, you are hired to. Yeah. So with all of this, we've got to give you some good action steps, some good calls <laughs> Something to positive. action. Yeah, definitely. Because there is an upside. This this is slowly changing, but we have a lot of work to do. Right. Yeah. So on an individual level, there's, there's a few things that you can look into. So um, if you are not able to create waves of change and throughout the entire company on an individual level, you can seek professional development, uh, look for those opportunities, look for those pockets, so to speak. You can um, advocate to change your hiring process, 
to change your retention practices, to change your promotion practices at your place of work by talking to HR often, talking to managers often, etc. You can seek and provide resources for leadership development in particular. I know uh, I probably shouldn't promote, but LinkedIn, I know it has a lot of classes that you can take and things like that. You know, sure. if, yeah. If it's free, yeah. Um, You can build your professional network, you know, reach out to others in in your same positions, outside of your positions, across companies that are similar, um, and educate your managers of the barriers that you, that we all face as marginalized communities of people um, in the workplace. Um, Or specifically, even you can educate your manager of your own barriers in your own specific workplace. Um, And something that I did want to mention, I attended a virtual women of color conference, um, specifically women in STEM, women in business, women in advocacy, women in film, um, women in all, all, any and all areas uh, talking. And one of the things that I took away from that was the concept of being at the table and having someone, you know, advocating for you and saying your name at the table, but also this idea that, you know, white men be upset and fearful that we're going to try and compete for their spots. Right. But rather than fighting, there is this idea that, you know, white men have these resources to build another chair so that we can sit next to them instead of literally throwing them out of their own chair, Mm -hmm. but really they should give up their own chair for us. But anyway, they could build another chair with their wealth of resources and we can sit next to them at the table in a brand new chair um, and represent those who are not represented. Don't have to give up the chair. Like I said, you should give up the chair and you can give those who need and want professional growth and opportunities, promotions and opportunities. So just a food for thought. Yeah, I am. Um, my favorite in terms of, of seats at tables, my favorite, favorite quote regarding seats at tables is from Shirley Chisholm. And it's the quote that says, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Bring a stool. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and if you don't know who Shirley Chisholm is, she was the first black woman to ever run for U.S. president. But I've always loved that quote because we do talk about seats at the table. But the, the thing that has to the sort of unspoken thing is that there has to be one. And I like the idea of no, there doesn't have to be one. I can bring my own. I'm very resourceful. Or you can stand there. Or you, you can lean. Yeah, exactly. But I think that this idea, I, I, I think as we go forward, especially mm. post-pandemic, I think being really married to this idea of, of, of having to have a seat, mm-hmm. I, w- I really want people to feel empowered to bring their own seat. Yeah. Like, you can carve out space for yourself at a table where you don't think there is even space. You could squeeze in. For sure. Definitely. <laughs> but I also think that we need to change what our idea of leadership looks like. Yes. Like the image of leaders in our country, very male, very pale. And I think that we have to get, we've got to change that ideology for our children. Mm-hmm. I think we talk a lot about the Steve Jobses and the Bill Gates and the Mark Zuckerbergs of mm-hmm. the world. And I would love to see that replaced with other women in high power positions that are just as important. We really prize tech in this country as like the chubacabra of businesses. But there's a lot of other businesses with women who are sitting at the top that deserve to be seen and highlighted. 
So in the same way that we talk about Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, let's also talk about Maisie Hirono. Let's mm-hmm. also talk about Sonia Singal. Let's normalize these faces as images of leadership for young people, not just young girls, to aspire to. Young men, young boys can aspire to Kamala Harris and can aspire to Chloe Zhao just as much as they aspire to Steve Jobs, Donald Trump, uh, Bill Gates, so on and so forth. Jeff Bezos, Mm -hmm. that was one that I was also thinking of, so on and so forth. Like, we need to normalize other images of leadership for us as a country to start moving forward with different, with ideas of who can hold leadership positions. And I think that feeds into my next point of we also need to change or vary the types of leadership styles that we look up to, that we support, and that yes. we think are effective. There's a lot, there's various leadership styles. It's not just autocratic. That's the do as I say leadership model. And it's not just authoritative. I am sitting at the top of this food chain and everyone else is underneath me. I will dole out uh, tasks and projects and assignments as I see fit. There's a lot of other types of leadership out there that we should be looking to different kinds of leadership styles, maybe more collaborative leadership styles. Why aren't we lifting up that type of leadership or or a democratic or a coaching leadership style or Mm. a pace setting leadership style or a laissez-faire leadership style if you're (laughs) feeling frisky? But I think that we're so married to this idea of the autocrat or the authoritative type of leadership that we have completely closed ourselves off to what other kinds of leadership can look like, mm-hmm. what they feel like, and how they produce results. We pretty much only know the do as I say model. Or if you're talking about Netflix, which I that's a company that I absolutely love. Uh, shout out to Reed Hastings and his idea of like no rules. Uh, I think he just wrote a book called No Rules Rules with a co-author and it's awesome. But this idea that we can also trust our employees to set rules of work for themselves that work best for them with the sole goal of producing a great outcome. Because I think if you utilize different kinds of leadership styles or you tailor leadership per employee, you're going to get the best possible results for Mm -hmm. products, for creative development, because everyone's brain works differently and everyone needs different things. And so I think if we're not varying up our images and our styles, we're going to be stuck with the glass ceiling, the bamboo ceiling. No one's going to grow if, we're, if we don't take a big leap of faith in entrusting other kinds of leadership styles. And quite frankly, after our last president, I'm over autocrat and authoritative. <laughs> I would like some other styles, please. Like I have all sorts of burned out. Um, Come work for my dean. There, there you go. I, I should just probably switch to education altogether. Just leave. She's a strong woman of color. Awesome. And we need more of those. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this episode inspires you, dear listener, to take this as food for thought, to if you have been feeling stunted at work, but you couldn't quite figure out why, hopefully this episode has spoken to you in a way that is meaningful, that you feel seen, that you feel understood. And if, and if it has, we want to hear about it. Yeah. Reach out to us on Instagram at Black and Yellow Podcast 
or you can email us uh, podcast at podcast black and yellow at gmail.com. But we <laughs> we want to help you grow in whatever field you're looking to get into. We need more women of color uh, in leadership positions sitting at the top. So yes. if this episode has inspired you, reach out. Let us know. Yeah. And with that, that is our episode. We are the Black and Yellow Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps this little uh, this little show of ours keep going and keep growing. If you want to reach out to us individually on the gram or any of the other socials, I am Alana at Renegade of Fun. And I'm Katie at This Villain Scholar. We'll be back next week for another awesome episode. Happy AAPI Heritage Month. We hope you guys are celebrating and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.